Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. We're advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, and research. Welcome to the AUKUS Amplified podcast. We're excited to bring you a series of five podcasts highlighting some of the most interesting research presentations at our fall meeting here in Dallas on November 2019. My name is Stefan Obini. I am from University of California, San Francisco, and I am the chair of the Digital Health Committee. I'd like to introduce to you my co-host, who's going to introduce himself and then introduce our speakers. This is Charles Laurie. Excited to be a part of this podcast today, and we have with us Dr. Matthew Abdel and Ashton Goldman, who are here today to talk about their paper, Aseptic Reoperations Within One Year of Primary Total Hip Arthroplasty Markedly Increase the Risk of Later Periprosthetic Joint Infection. Well, thank you for having us. We appreciate the opportunity. So, Matt, where are you at these days? I'm at the Mayo Clinic in uh, Rochester, Minnesota, and this study originated in Rochester at Mayo when uh, Dr. Goldman was our fellow, and we came up with the idea to put this paper together. Dr. Goldman, where are you now? I'm at the Naval Medical Center in Portsmouth, Virginia, right outside Norfolk, Virginia, taking care of our active and retirees, active duty military and retirees. That's awesome. Thank you for your service. I have to say that right off the bat. Thank you. So at this point, we'd like to ask you guys to explain to us what you did, the project that you sought, what problem are you trying to look at? How did you actually approach the problem? I mean, tell us about your thought process and tell us a little bit about what you learned along the way. Yeah, maybe I'll start and then we can have Dr. Goldman kick in. So for us, we were intrigued on primary total hip arthroplasty patients. And our primary question was, if a patient has an early aseptic reoperation, so they're a recurrent dislocator, they have a periprosthetic fracture, they have any one of these number of issues that can occur within the first year, how do they fare after that aseptic reoperation with primary interest in periprosthetic joint infection, future aseptic revisions, and actually mortality? And that was a primary question when Dr. Goldman was our fellow, and we wondered about these early reoperations and how they fared in the future. And maybe I'll let Ashton talk to kind of the methods of the study and how we went about looking at that through the Mayo Clinic Total Joint Registry. Ashton, before you start, was there a specific case that you came across that sort of triggered this question for you? The question really came about, we were actually at a course in Rochester. We were sitting in the back and I think one of the speakers, I think it was Dr. Meneghini, actually mentioned a case where he had to take back someone to the operating room early and said, there's a higher risk of infection there. And I looked at Matt and said, is there any data on this? And that was really where the thought from my standpoint came. And then we got an IRB together and started the process. And then when we were looking at it, we looked at all the total hips done at the Mayo Clinic from 2000 to 2015. And then we thought, how's the best way to try to answer this question? And I think that's really the challenge with this type of study to answer the question we want to do. And whether we want to just look at a certain population, whether it's just dislocators or periprosthetic fractures, or do we do it based off time? And uh, we decided to do it based off time and exclude the appropriate cases like septic reoperations or closed reoperations. And that's really where the ideas came from and how we started the process. Can you just briefly describe the methods you use to actually go through this and get to the answer that you wanted at the end of the study? Yeah, so we divided our patients based off the 
reoperation, so the time to reoperation based off less than 90 days, 91 to 365 days. And then we compared that to our control group, which was no reoperations within the first year. Clearly that assumes that all those aseptic reoperations were not destined for a PJI within the first year. And it also eliminates all the high-risk patients that would have developed a PGI in the first year because we eliminated the septic reoperations. But that really gets to the point of if these patients did not have an aseptic reoperation, how would they have fared long-term? And what did y'all learn from the study? What were your results? So the results of our study showed that aseptic reoperations had a much higher risk of periprosthetic joint infections after accounting for all the other demographic factors between 8 and 13 times higher. It's a pretty impressive number. We were shocked ourselves, but it really gets to the point of trying to avoid the aseptic reoperation is really the key and one of the things we can do to help decrease our periprosthetic joint infection rate. Yeah, I think the way to look at this is if you have an early aseptic reoperation, your risk of periprosthetic joint infection is somewhere around 5 to 6%, which if you want to, for the practicing clinician, put that into context, that surgery has a five-fold to 15-fold increased risk of a periprosthetic joint infection over the primary procedure. And most of the time, these are not elective reoperations. A periprosthetic fracture or a recurrent dislocator is not an elective surgery. It's avoiding the index complication that led to that aseptic reoperation. And that's what fundamentally at the core this study shows. So, Dr. Abdel, I noticed that the majority of your reoperations were for dislocations, fractures, early on for hematoma seroma, and then later on for aseptic loosening. Can you comment a little bit on what potentially this has changed in your practice to try to avoid those complications moving forward? That's the take-home message here, is how can you change these early aseptic reoperations now knowing that your risk of periprosthetic joint infection, if you have to do an aseptic reoperation early, is high. And you're right, it was periprosthetic fractures and dislocations. So this is how I think about it. Those account for about 70% of aseptic reoperations in one year. And that's what the AJRR data shows, and that's what most registries show. So number one, periprosthetic fractures. I say you've got to look at every calcar if you're doing an uncemented stem and make sure there's not an interoperative calcar fracture that's missed. If there is one, pull the stem out, place a wire, put the stem back in, adjust your weight bearing as appropriate. Number two, think about cemented stems. In elderly patients, particularly females, that have poor bone quality. And then finally, you want to balance these things out. You want to look at your patient indications. You want to think about the different patients that you might be operating on. It's not just about implant choice. It's about intraoperative x-rays, for instance, and maybe a certain patient population. Looking at things that you do intraoperatively, has this changed anything that you do uh, when you have to go back in for those aseptic revisions? Are you using any specific lavages, any wound management techniques to potentially mitigate this now uh, increased risk of infection that we know about? Well, as you know, Charles, the world of periprosthetic joint infection and the data surrounding that is ever-evolving. And so what I say is I give them everything that I know that has data to prevent a periprosthetic joint infection if I have to do an early reoperation. So in my hands, I do use dilupatidine. In this cohort of patients, the one change that I've specifically made based upon this study is if I have an early aseptic reoperation, I will do two weeks of PO antibiotics based upon this great study that Ashton worked on. 
And for patients that are high risk of dislocation, I will consider a dual mobility construct, knowing that they have a catastrophic risk of periprostatic joint infection, and it's one of the highest complications within the first year. So getting into the weeds a little bit of the world of infection, it's getting to be somewhat popular to talk about the fact that maybe there's no such thing as an aseptic procedure, that all implants are infected all along, they're just under control. Do you think there's something about the fracture dislocation that sets off the infection that's otherwise quiescent or controlled in the body? That's a good question, Stefano. I think I would look at it that all implants may be contaminated but Good. not infected. Well, well stated, well stated. So I think there's a threshold, and the threshold varies for patients. Every patient's different. Just like all four of us on this podcast are different, the host response is different. So some hosts are able to mitigate contamination without then developing a periprostatic joint infection, and some have a much lower threshold. So when they get that second hit, that aseptic reoperation, the contamination burden is so high that it puts them into a true periprostatic joint infection that is clinically significant. Which then brings up the question, is this a de novo infection that happens because of a complex secondary procedure, or are we reactivating existing infection? Did you come up with a concept around that as you were looking at it, Jason? We thought of a lot of different reasons why this is, and uh, I think it's all speculative at this point. There's no clear data. To Matt's point, you know, having an implant, there's no blood supply. There's the chance of that having bacteria on it is pretty high. But whether it's going to cause a clinically relevant infection, we don't know why that is. Is it the oxygen tension in the wound when we're going back in? How's the healing response? What's the effect of antibiotics and changing the microbiome? These are the things we don't know and it'll be interesting to see what comes of it in the future with future research. I know this was a registry study, but do you have a sense for when these prosthetic joint infections occurred after the aseptic revisions? Were they early infections that presented with wound problems early on, or were they the later type that present more with just unexplained pain and potential component loosening? Well, that also is a great question, Charles. So we did it as a cumulative incidence out to five years, and we see it's a stepwise upward progression. They don't all develop early. They don't all develop late. Several of them develop early within the first year or two after the aseptic reoperation. But the risk continues out. We did out to five years. Continues out to five years where incremental periprostatic joint infections after that index aseptic reoperation occurred are noted. Well, I think that's been a really amazing session. I'll certainly learn a ton from you guys, so thank you for joining us. So to summarize, what I'm hearing is that during a early aseptic periprostatic fracture, aseptic loosening, or dislocation case, I should be very concerned about a subsequent infection in that patient. Two ways to mitigate it. Avoid the problem to begin with. Think about maybe dual mobility constructs and a high risk for dislocation patient. Consider cemented arthroplasty in those patients at high risk of periprostatic fracture. And if they do come in, be very, very sensitive to the idea that there might be an infection. So aggressive, perioperative, intraoperative, debridement, washout, surfactants, antibiologics or antimicrobials like betadine wash. And then maybe without a significant amount of data behind it, but at least Right now, you're thinking maybe a somewhat prolonged two-week course of oral antibiotics, broad spectrum, because you don't know what's going on. And of course, you're telling us to get cultures in all these patients at the time of surgery. That's an excellent summary, Stefano. What I would say is high index of suspicion at the time of aseptic reoperation. So they still need an appropriate workup, ESR, CRP, 
aspiration. I get intraoperative pathology and three cultures on these cases, particularly in light of this data. And then you also can't forget some of the basic principles for infection management. Do an expeditious, safe surgery that avoids future complications so they don't spiral. So it actually added another piece we hadn't really talked about is you do, you're actually doing an infectious workup before, which I think all of us that do revision surgery have sort of gotten around to, but you just underline the fact that even though it's an emergent case, correct, you're going to get the cetera CRP and an aspiration. Right. Those numbers may be elevated from the trauma, but nonetheless, you get them as a baseline. Correct. I just want to thank you guys for coming and congratulations again on an excellent study. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. Ashton, Matt, Charles, thank you very much. It wraps up our first podcast from Marcus this year. Thank you so Great much work. for having Congratulations. us. Congratulations. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for AUKUS Amplified. Visit aahks.org to learn more about how members of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons educate, advocate, and investigate in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery.